So the same day that my mom broke into the prison, um, I actually broke into another organization. We hit multiple sites. I think there was five or six sites that we hit that day. And I showed up and I had like glasses. I had eye surgery years ago, but I had some old glasses, popped the lens out, put on glasses, and I buttoned my shirt up all the way. And I had like these crap old Cisco 2600 routers that were just ancient. And I just threw them in a bag, a rolling bag behind me. And I went up to the location. It was uh, July 5th, so like no one was there. So I showed up and I pretended to be an intern uh, that I was working with the local university and I was interning with the uh, group and I, they wanted me to come in and do some network equipment. They totally let me in. Like the guy let me in, asked me all kinds of questions. So you're in school for computers. And I'm like, yep, I am. And just completely let me in. I was able to get in, take lots of pictures for proof that I was there. And then I left. A couple of weeks later, we were doing the debrief. We started walking through what we did successfully to these various locations and how we actually got in and i'm in the room with the guy that let me in like he's in the attendance and beforehand we're, i'm sitting there we're talking to him you know we're having coffee or whatever and he's like so you have a computer security company and i'm like yeah i've got a computer security company here and he goes you know what there's an intern um he's actually interning at university x i met him a couple of weeks ago I think it would be really great to come like work at your company to do these types of things. You're like, yeah, I know him. He's me. <laughs> no, at that point, you got to do the full Superman That's thing weird. where you rip off the thing in the shirt, you put the glasses back on. <laughs> so we start doing the meeting and I start getting access to it. And the lady that's in charge, the like CTO, she starts freaking out. She's like, who let you and I'm like, well, Bill actually let me in. Bill's like, no, I never saw you, never once. You did not, you did not come in. And I'm like, no, I, Bill, it was the 5th of July. You, you let me in. He's like, the only person that I let in that day was an intern from the <laughs> IT department. That's it. He's the only guy. And I'm like, that was, that was me. No, no, no. He had glasses. <laughs> How are you getting these pictures of Spider-Man? And I put the glasses on and uh, he kind of got freaked out. And then the lady that was in charge of that building kicked us out. And uh, we had, that was, turns into a whole nother story at that point. But that was probably one of my faves. Welcome to Black Hills Information Security, talking about the news. I'm your host today, Ralph May. We've got a all-star cast today. We've also got some uh, interesting stories, maybe uh, Spring for Shell or the dumpster fire that wasn't. Uh, we also have some more Okta news, because why not? And uh, anonymous, ransomware, crypto, you know how it goes, all the fun stuff. I'll go around the room here. We have Ryan, who hopefully makes me sound good. I don't know. We'll have to debate about that. It's probably all my fault. Uh, we also have uh, Ian is on as well. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we have Noah uh, in his new blue room, hacking Zillow and uh, home sales. Uh, if you want to know, ask him more. Uh, we also have Corey, who also has a little blue going on. Not and, doing uh, a physical pen test like John while I'm on doing, the webcast. Yes. And then we have John, who is on a physical right now. <laughs> He's actually doing a pen test. 
It's weird because he's holding a laptop while he's doing it. Which he's being chased by security guards, we think. Yeah. We're if not we sure. lose him, we know why. It's because he got arrested. <laughs> the story of how John broke his laptop while on a webcast <laughs> running uh, through his house. It's the weirdest Blair Witch project that he's oh ever gosh, I, think, I think he's gotten into the data center. It looks like we, he made it. testing the Wi-Fi. I'm in the data center. Right I'm here. in. All right, we'll patch you in. Don't I'm cut in. the hard line. All right, everybody. This is day one of the endless pen test. I'm in the HVAC room. Um, Put your shark tap right. in there. What's that? Put your shark tap in that network patch panel behind yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, wait a minute, wait a minute. I found something. Get your Hack 5 gear out. I found, I found something. Is this important? <gasps> oh, my god! Oh, my God. Uh, it looks a little old. more down, John. We can't see the Windows 95 menu yet. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Oh, God. Oh, man. It, oh, God. It look, is this bad? bad? Oh, God. Oh. Depends on how you mitigated it. Bad. LM hashes have entered the chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. but all the hashes, they start with AADB3. I don't know. <laughs> What's great about the room you're in chair up here. <laughs> is at the time, it took that entire room to run that PC. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing in here. Yes. Okay. I was just great. trying to find a place with better internet connectivity. And I think I you did. found it. You found so, you found the mainframe. So you you found the mainframe. Actually, uh, goal obtained. Go ahead and write frame. that report. <laughs> we did that. So, so that was the most interesting thing we're going to talk about all day. I don't know about. Yeah, you. I don't. What what else did you guys want to talk about? I think that was it. What else did we do? Did you guys see the size of that toilet thing? Was huge. <laughs> I don't so. think that's human sized. Yeah. <laughs> I just I want I want a break in video of where in the world is John Strand. He's in yes. somewhere and we Honestly, I don't even think he knows. I think we could add that to the news. Like we could like go live to John on site. I was told there <laughs> yeah, was an he... office I could use down here that had better connectivity. So Oh yeah. You might not get your stapler back, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, okay, let's so go. Wait. What, what stories do we have? Yeah, we have a couple. We have a couple things. Do you guys want to uh, talk about the um, uh, Spring 4J? Spring 4J yeah, or the old uh, Octa Octa reincarnation version seven nine? I, I guess Spring 4J never really turned into anything. It was the zero day vulnerability in the Spring framework, but uh, I actually saw some news about it, and then nobody said anything. Like they, they no, the world wasn't on fire. Then we got any more intel on this uh, vulnerability? Yeah, I, I did some reading on it, and and you know, obviously tracking it just in the the day gig, and constant noise from people like, oh, it's coming! It's another log for Jay! It's going to ruin your lives! So I'm like, yeah, it's not Christmas. We're not due for another world-ending vulnerability present. <laughs> but. In the end, it ended up being, okay, yeah, this is bad. You definitely do want to go update your frameworks and, and, and make sure that you're not one of the organizations that has, you have to have like four or five very specific things going on. Like you have to yeah. be on Java 9 plus, you have to have your Apache running in uh, like a containerized commandlet. You have to have like all these different things happening. And you should definitely, if you're in an organization, check and make sure like hey are we running this vulnerable version do we have this set up this way do we have this version of job and if we do prioritize that but the news like took off with it and then researchers kind of said well this and that not really and everyone kind of went back so that's what i got from it what did what did y'all get from it 
somewhere out there, there's a developer that's like, when Log4Shell happened, he was like, we have to ditch Java. We have to ditch Java. And right now he's like, I was right. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I mean, kind of lackluster. I'm not. I do wonder sometimes with these Java things, like, you know, Log4J, it's like, all right, who the hell wrote the spring framework that's vulnerable? And the Log4J guy is like, it was me. Sorry again. That was me. Oops, I did it again. It's like, no. Oh, I accidentally did that in my free product that no one's helping me with. Yeah. But yeah. No, no support from in the community whatsoever. Yeah, I got Caprico one in there saying, doesn't it require some config? Yeah, it does seem like the spring for shell or what, whatever we're calling it. I, I it's, it's, it's so terrible because I keep hearing spring for shell and I keep thinking of uh, springtime for Hitler for our, from the producers. In Germany. And I'm like, that is not where my brain should go. And yet here we spring are. Springtime for Java in Germany. I can't believe the other thing that was you know interesting is it leaked on Twitter and then the hacker, whoever leaked it, took down the screenshot of it because apparently sharing vulnerability information publicly without government approval is a crime in China. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, because they want they want dibs. You're supposed to sell it to them, not tweet it. Uh, Samantha was asking about the GitLab vulnerability, the hard coded credentials. Ooh, I didn't see that one. To be honest, when I saw this one come out, I actually was more afraid of this one because you know Git is where everything is. I there was like uh, six vulnerabilities that they talked about. I didn't see the hard coded credentials one. That was part of the CVEs, but I, I do know that it was like a patch now kind of scenario, right? Especially for yeah. publicly exposed GitLabs. Yeah, there was there was too many of them, um, but they huh. did actually get. The, we do actually have an article the, for it. Yeah, we have an article. It's apparently users who were created using OmniAuth based uh, registration, which is like registering yeah, through OAuth, LDAP, or SAML or other external auth providers. It's yeah, it's only those three. <laughs> well, I mean, they do have an internal auth, but you know, who would use that, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, I don't know if that one was ever, was that actually seen um, being exploited in the wild? I don't think it was. I think it was something that they discovered and they fixed it. Yeah. No evidence of any accounts being compromised, but that just means the attackers deleted the logs while they were in there. So, yeah. Mm. They made a pull request to pull the logs. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, did, if we, can just public. <laughs> like, we can't, we can't scrub get. It's too hard. It's too hard. There's just too many repos. Just start a new repo. <laughs> yeah forked it what else do we got so what happened with uh with okta you said that okta wasn't dead we have a story on it's you know, not the, dead the spreadsheet did not contain passwords i feel like we're getting to like politi- <laughs> politician level like it, it was it was consensual i wasn't involved yeah <laughs> the, the spreadsheet did not contain passwords that's definitely like a thing that all, every uh CSO should practice in the mirror before they go to work. Like, stand in front of the mirror and look directly at the camera. The spreadsheet did not contain passwords. There okay, no passwords. All right, you've got that one down for today. You yeah. can check into to work. Oh, wait, hold on. And then they also, <laughs> and now people are also uh, blaming uh, the Octa breach on legacy network from yes. acquisitions, right? I mean, like, is blame shifting? Practicing that you, you know, saying that no, no passwords were in the... Who's their uh, PR firm on this? <laughs> um, it's just some 16-year-old kid that breached their Twitter account four years ago. Yeah. yeah. Just kidding. I have no yeah. idea. Say, whoever it is, it's the same ones that Ubiquity uses, probably. Uh, this is... I, I, I can't wait for them to come out with another press release. This PR firm does not speak for us. 
I, I, I keep wondering, like there's been some examples of some attacks that have had pretty good PR and the way it was handled in the community. And it's not like we don't have templates on how to do this, right? So with these PR firms, are they just like, well, let's not do that. You know what? I got a really good friend at Equifax and I just want to say things turned out fantastic for them. <laughs> let's follow that as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I mean, basically, at this point, if you read it, it's probably something that either the PR team hasn't seen yet or they haven't responded <laughs> to it yet. <laughs> because we, you know, it's pretty much just coming from every direction, no control over the message, no control over the different investigations, and kind of a good uh, case study for per future PR people to study on how not to do it. And speaking of bad PR, Noah talked about, he basically had an article he just picked up about Ubiquity, deciding that they think it, 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 out of all of their options of what they could do, they decide that trying to sue Brian Krebs. Yeah, is, perfect idea. Yeah, that, that's is, what I would have went with. a good idea yeah. in yeah. this day and age. It was his fault. Well, yeah. John, hold on. Here's the thing. Ubiquity wants to be a Cisco competitor, right? And the only way you become a true competitor to Cisco is by suing security researchers while you're on the come up. This is a known thing in this murder. <laughs> you yeah. find the blackout researcher, you sue them, you put your brand on it, you're good. They're following That's old manual. Cisco. That's old Cisco. New Cisco, they buy the company. So they should, oh. Ubiquity should buy Brian Krebs's holding <laughs> company. Buy Brian Krebs. And somehow, and then, and then just turn it into like a subscription service. I don't know. I, Brian so Krebs. The best story about Cisco out there, if you can find it, is Josh Wright's story whenever he wrote the tool Asleep, where he attacked the lightweight extensible authentication protocol attack tool. And basically, it has a lot to do with MSChat v2 being utilized, and you can do a rainbow table style attack um, against the authentication. And he talks about it, and the way he discusses it, he's like, all of a sudden, I start hearing helicopters coming in, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Why are helicopters surrounding my house? And then ropes drop down into his front yard and lawyers come down one handed on these ropes and the reason they're one handed is because in their other hand they have their briefcases yeah. massive briefcase yeah he, he just talks about just how it's incredibly traumatic it was to to deal with cisco and then the worst thing is like the vulnerability was in the protocol and this is something that i think we need to develop a webcast on or for forever days like it's not something you just patch and it's fixed. It's like, it's like, remember group policy preference files. Those are still things that we find in some domains because a patch doesn't fix that. It's similar to that. And it just doesn't go away. And you still find wireless networks today that are using leap and you can use a sleep against them still. So yeah, I mean, it just seems like it's a really, really like a pair of stories that are just the wrong way to handle public perception the, of your organization being well hacked. especially because with the ubiquity breach like they didn't handle it great but more or less the community was kind of like fine they they were like whatever but now they're doing this and it's like right. you, you're just making it worse for yourself if you would have said nothing at all you would have been more ahead i mean everyone's incident response checklist should be step one identify the problem step two let the lawyers sue the messengers all of them <laughs> yeah. just let them off the chain let them go sue whoever they, you want they misunderstood when they said eliminate the problem yeah they didn't mean like eliminate evidence of the problem they meant fix it step zero what are you doing with the sniper rifle 
Uh, uh, you said, you said eliminate. eliminate. <laughs> Doesn't that mean you want me to kill the security researcher? <laughs> no, Bill. Now's not the time to kill. Bill, put down the javelin. I know you got them cheap on eBay. Get out of here. <laughs> put down the javelin, Bill. Bill, how many dead security researchers do we have to hide before you He's a oh. good guy. As hard, Bill's a great guy. Got a little bit of a murder problem. But... <laughs> he takes care now, of problems. I've got a question. Have we ever once in this industry had a situation where a security researcher released a vulnerability and it didn't end well? Like, like I, I'm thinking about um, God, one of the guys, early guys in Pearl. I can't remember his name. Um, he did some password cracking, I think, in like Oregon, and uh, he was working for Intel at the time, and he got sued. I can't remember his name, and that was bad. That took him a long time to get his record expunged. But like recently, just by releasing vulnerabilities or talking about vulnerabilities publicly, I, I can't think of a sit single situation where it's like, oh yeah, that worked out well for the company that sued that person. I it just. I don't know where the hell they're getting their data on where they think this is the best path. I mean, and I guess this opens up another question for you all. Um, I don't think we have it in the news stories because I honestly don't know what they are. But if you guys notice the number of vendors that are talking about how they won the MITRE attack evaluations and had 100% coverage of all the MITRE stuff, I know Ian and I have been going back and forth on mm -hmm. Twitter on it. I think it's time to bring back sacred cash cow tipping. <laughs> It was never. It was never time to stop. Yeah. Well, it was the last time that we did it. We put out an email to all the testers, and we said, "Should we continue doing this?" And none of you were working here at that time, ironically enough. And Egypt and myself and a couple of other people, we had a conversation. We were like, "It's probably time to bury this because it seems like everyone knows that endpoint products have problems." And with all these vendors saying that they're a hundred percent effective, it's starting to make me think that it's time to dust off the Batman cape. And do it again. And every time we do it, we have AV vendors that start to rumble about suing Black Hills Information Security for it. And God, that would be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> that would be like some of the best press we could ever hope for. So the point is, has it ever worked out well for a company to take this approach? I can't I think of anything. I think the scary thing is that like if we're playing this like D&D &D style, so like the spell is like sue and the counter spell <laughs> is like I have an audience and they're mad at you now, right? Like, yeah. but really the, the thing that's scary to me is for certain people, especially like smaller security researchers, they probably don't have the audience to go like yell at the company. Like they, yeah. so they probably are, you know, drowning in this stuff and can't, you know, can't really do much about it because they don't have a huge Twitter following to be like, everyone, please help. And then like internet lawyers are getting, in, you know, so I worry, you know, so, the so back to John's question of like, when recently has someone been sued by a big company and it not turned out well like we may not know it, it exactly well it's like a selection bias yeah, yeah. Exactly. i almost I, I almost disagree because if you look at this industry of something unless that person just decides to keep it quiet and suffer silently which that totally can be something that happens right we can't prove that one way or the other even if they don't have a huge twitter following you reach out to like a handful of people on twitter and that message will get amplified very quickly like if you look at people like Tara, you look at people like Malware Jake, you look at uh, people like Ian and myself, if somebody's a security researcher and they're like, I went to Oracle, Cisco, somebody, and I released this vulnerability and now they're suing me, you know, we're going to ask some questions, but we will happily amplify that message. Um, it will blow up quickly in the face of that company. So I don't know. You're right. It's entirely possible that there's people 
that are being sued and they're just deciding just to keep it real quiet and be like, well, I'm not doing that again. But I, I, I doubt because they wouldn't do it if it didn't work. Right. Like th- these the bean counters and the, you know, oh, do we pop our retainer on this or do we use it? <laughs> well, I don't know. think it's necessarily they wouldn't do it and they wouldn't and because it wouldn't work. I think it's that's the only hammer they have. Right. right. That's the tool that they right. have. Yeah. It's not like, what do we have at our disposal? Uh, you know, basically doing like a responsible coordinated disclosure plan, working with the vendor, working with the researcher, getting this fixed. As Katie always says, don't hate the researcher, hate the vuln, focus on the right thing. Those are all tools that are completely foreign to attorneys, right? They only know the let's sue, but that's it. No, there's the old like kind of, I forget which salesperson or motivational speaker said it. Now I'll butcher it a little bit, but it's if you tell me how, sorry, if you show me how someone is measured, I will tell you how they behave. And if lawyers are measured by, you know, successfully litigating or using legal mechanisms to, to shut down, again, a problem in the organization, then they can say, yes, we were successful in doing this. To John's point, they're, they're not going to go, all right, let me throw my hat in the ring of maybe this weird gray bearded, uh, you know, esoteric plan for responsible disclosure will work. There are very few lawyers that are specialized in that and understand it. Now, you mm-hmm. would think some of them might work at Cisco, uh, but, you know, maybe not. I don't know. We're not going to solve it here. What else do we have for stories? So MailChimp got uh, breached and kind of similar to Okta, uh, speaking of. So, I mean, no surprise here. So it was a social engineering attack that got access to uh, internal um what do you call it? Like uh, internal access to MailChimp's uh, customers as well, uh, which then in turn ended up being a massive um, uh, phishing campaign to uh, steal crypto uh, from the likes of people who own uh, Tracers, which are, um, you know, hardware crypto wallets and other things like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it sounds like from what MailChimp says so far, it was a it was an SE attack to get access to um in internal customer support and account management systems. So, so what is it? It was 319 accounts, but that sounds like a very highly targeted attack. And the Tresner thing, like that's that's a hardware crypto, external hardware crypto wallet. Yeah. Damn. <clears throat> um, now, this I'm glad that they went for crypto people because that could have been much worse with Mailchimp. That could have been much much worse. I think yeah, we're I'm- kind of waiting on the other shoe to drop. I mean, well, they said yeah, a bunch yeah. of accounts were compromised, and the only one that we saw get publicly used, at least based on the info we have, is this Trezor attack. So maybe they like remediated it after that attack. They went and rolled all the credentials or whatever. But there is the possibility that you know there could be more coming. Yeah, that, that when I read that, it felt a bit like the uh, the Capital One breach, where Capital One took the brunt of the heat in the news, but really. It was an S3 bucket breach. And if you read through the news story, it's like also affected was Ford and this and that. and da, 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 da. <laughs> But the crypto wallet's fun because people are like, oh, crypto wallet. That's crazy. Stealing money. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Well, it's clickbait, right? Yeah. But like, you know, that's absolutely something that a lot of people in America and around the world are going to click on because they right. are heavily invested well, in crypto. The, the other thing, too, is that you got to look at how they're trying to monetize it. Right. So, I mean, whenever you have an attack, whatever it may be, I mean. You know, unless it's nation state, right? Hot nation state on, you know, action that they're not looking to monetize it, right? They just want that that uh, information. Any other attacker that does want to monetize it, that's some 
this is one way to do it, right? Going after something that you could actually steal, um, you know, digitally, uh, which is crypto, right? Um, you know, and that's why ransomware and all the other fun things, they're just looking the ways to monetize whatever access or whatever vulnerability that they have, right? So, I mean, safe to say phishing, uh, phishing attacks, well-targeted phishing attacks are going to rise because they exported all the data from the yeah. whatever they could access. So they have lists of, Here's what people are subscribed to what list so they can they can target it down more than like Nigerian Prince needs your help. It's yeah. more like, you know, this the Trezor stuff where it's like you have a Trezor. We know you do because you're on this mailing list. So, yeah, you know, or here's a more targeted attack or targeted emails to get more access. Right. To, um, you know, to other people who work at other companies so they can do another SE to get access to something else. Right. One thing leads to another. So, yeah, well, you're saying something as I read this story that I'm, I think we're seeing more and more of where whether it be what was it the, the Twitter API or Twitter employee that they gained all those creds and it was like all the, the Bitcoin. Oh, do yeah, this. That was like the it. weakest, the weakest social engineering payload of all time. <laughs> right. Hey, I'm Bill yeah. Gates. I'm the richest person in the world. Give me crypto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but what we're seeing though is these these APIs and these other these other setups like like MailChimp and I mean we've seen these these strange I don't want to call them strange, but supply chain style attacks where, hey, I'm not going to try and hack the crypto wallet if I can get an API key for MailChimp and convince five percent of the people to just give me their their passwords or whatever it is these kind of esoteric around the horn things i think a lot of companies aren't thinking about like oh well what's going to happen they're just going to email our customer base something and they're hoping it's going to be something lewd and in reality it's going to be something that they've got to activate cyber insurance on so well, I, I find these stories fascinating and, and i talk about this in a couple of our classes one of the assessments that we did a number of years ago um, kind of tying it in with Okta, and I've talked about this a number of times, but basically um, Mike and Bo, I think were the two people that are on, might have been Mike and Joff, I'm not sure, but they had a test where a customer was using Okta. So they basically stood up a 30-day trial of Okta, and they discovered that you could send an email from Okta, and you could completely modify the HTML, and you could change it to whatever you wanted that HTML to be, and you could send that email with whatever message you wanted to another Okta customer. And they were able to do a credential capturing attack um, targeting Okta, using Okta to send the attack to the organization. Not only did they receive that email, but it was also like, like flagged as a critical email from Okta because it literally came from Okta. And I, and I use that because like, Ian, you're absolutely right. That's, that's a definite around the horn type attack, right? It's not like, click this link, I own your computer. It's definitely a little bit more complicated. And this, and this MailChimp one is very similar. Gain access to a list of people in MailChimp and then send emails to them, letting them know that there's a security breach and they got to reset passwords. It, you know, I think that we're going to see more and more of these because as much as I like rage against the EDR vendors and what they did with the MITRE uh, evaluations, the fact is EDR vendors are getting really damn good at protecting the endpoint. And you're starting to see these attacks get pushed off the endpoint more and more into the cloud as you progress. And I don't think the corporations are ready for it at all. No, I can well, assure you yeah. that. I think it's kind of the new trend also as the kind of rising tide of security rises, like you said, um, companies or, or threat actors are targeting insiders more than they are using. I mean, so this one was social engineering, right? But we've seen, you know, 
I guess, many instances of like sim swapping attacks happening because insiders, if you're making 20K, you're at T-Mobile and someone offers you 100 grand to do a sim swap, right? Like it, it kind of comes down to the <laughs> next generation of attacks where, you know, you might be a support tech or like, a you know, like 1099 tech at MailChimp and have access to, you know, all these lists and campaigns and stuff because you're just like a ticket jockey or whatever. But, you know, if someone approaches you and says, I'll give you 10 bitcoins if you just send this campaign, like, you know what I mean? It's kind of crazy. Like, oh, and then they just say, oh, well, my credentials are hacked. Oh, no. Yeah. So or, oh, I fell prey to a a phishing attack. (laughs) Oh, I clicked the wrong thing. Right. Um, So, I, I mean, I'm like, I mean, obviously, it's like a privilege access management and access control and all these things. We know how to fix it. It's just hard. You know, if you're a company that has a ton of people that have access to wide swaths of data, which a lot of big tech companies have, I personally, I would be like, you know, tossing and turning at night being like <laughs> the contractors, the uh, contractors, <laughs> like, you know. Insider threat is a real thing, right? And I think that um, what you're describing is that, you know, and people can be bribed and there's money out there being issued for these kinds of access. And, you know, for, you know, a hundred grand, you know, someone might be like, well, I mean, maybe I don't have to take a fall. I get to keep the money and I just have to find another job, right? Like I accidentally click the email. I mean, shoot. Yeah. I, I mean, dude, you don't even have training. to get a new job. You just have to go to security training. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You got to go to security training and watch those videos. Oh my God, the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah I, I guess my point overall is that the rising tide does push attacks into these roundabout, you know, weird mm-hmm. yeah. things that you would, that are not traditional, like end to end compromises, but like well, weird roundabout. And, and it's funny because uh, we've had some groups that have been moving that way for a while. Like I think DOD, IC gigs that I've been tangentially associated with in the past, you know, they gain access to something. And you're like, this is brilliant. How the hell did you get access? They're like, we just gave somebody a suitcase full of money to plug in a USB drive and run an executor. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, why? Oh, it's cheaper than zero days. Like (laughs) it's a lot cheaper. You could pay someone like five thousand dollars in ones. It looks like a lot of money. And (laughs) anything. I mean, hell, even in America, people will give you their password for a candy bar. Why write a zero (laughs) day? Sometimes less. I don't know if you've seen that video. (laughs) Yeah. Of of people interviewing people about their passwords. Like, oh, what's your password? It's like, well, it's my dog's name and the year I graduated from school. Like, oh, that's nice. So, uh, what? Where did you go to school? Oh, I went to such a school. Oh, yeah. When did you graduate? Oh, uh, this year. Oh, nice. So you have a dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah I have a dog. What, or, what's your dog's, dog's name? Right with yeah. like, this is yeah. a beautiful dog. What's the name of the dog? Sparks. Yes. Yes. It, it, no, it's the scene from it's the scene from Sneakers where it's like, you know what word I always found fascinating? Passport. Did you say <laughs> passport for me? <laughs> the, yeah. the recording, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. <laughs> So watch your inboxes. Don't click even harder. Yes. Before it was okay, but now you got to really be cautious. Lightly right? click. Lightly click. Uh-huh. Don't, don't press down too hard. I don't know if you want to talk about this, John. I know it's your favorite subject, but do you want to talk about PCI uh, 4.0? Yes, it's about <laughs> damn time. Their password complexity is now... Okay, so a few minor gripes. One, they basically are saying that you need to have two-factor for the PCI, accessing the PCI systems. Which part of me makes my heart hurt because it, it's still, it, it, it's almost like whenever it was, there was a conversation, I can't remember who started it, it might have been Katie, that was like, there's a bunch of people that are academics that are teaching people computer security that have oh. never been in the field. 
And then there were some conversations about, you know, like industry groups, are they kind of falling for the same thing? And I'm glad that they went to 15 characters uh, for their minimum password link, but they, they tended to focus on just accessing PCI data. So two-factor authentication for accessing PCI data, two, you know, okay. 15 character passwords for accessing PCI data. And I want to just be completely honest, that is fantastic. Um, they jumped from seven characters now with 4.0, it's now 15 characters. So I'd like to say welcome um, from 1985, <laughs> you time travelers from PCI. You finally discovered things have changed since 1985, and that's great. But I can't really fault them much for the focus on the PCI data. But one of the things as an industry that we have to realize is that whenever we're breaking into environments, you can have that type of control in that environment. But if the rest of your environment has poor security controls, we can ride on top of those poor security controls and still gain access to those sensitive enclaves. So it's definitely a huge step in the right direction. I'm very happy to see it. Hopefully it continues in the right direction. And now there's a customer. I'm talking specifically to you. Said <laughs> customer who said that you would never hire BHIS again. You know who you are. Talking to you now. You remember your seven character password policy? You remember how quickly we cracked all the passwords in your environment? Do you remember the ensuing argument about how PCI said that it is the standard, so therefore it was not a critical vulnerability, and you're not going to change your password policies until PCI tells you to, it's now time to change your PCI <laughs> password policy. So this, this well, you, special, you mean, you mean next year, right? Because it doesn't take effect until next year. Oh, yeah. They've got, <laughs> they've got time. They've got time to ignore it. Yeah, yeah they, they it. before it's forced upon them. Another thing they actually did in here, which uh, I see a lot, is... Um, Password reuse for service accounts or other kinds of like systems, they need to be, or password reuse, excuse me, a password rotation. So they need to be changed. They says at least once every 12 months, right? That's going to be tough. Yeah. Service accounts and stuff like that. That's actually a really common one because everyone's like, oh, well, I made this password that no one types in ever. But if we change the password, then it breaks all these scripts that we wrote, you know, four years ago. And then next thing you know, you have a bunch of service accounts that have passwords that are old enough uh, to drink, honestly. Yeah. Um, so uh, they're bad. Like, like I said, it's going to be tough for organizations to implement this. But if we go back to pen testers, how many times do we take advantage of service accounts that haven't been changed? Like the yeah. passwords haven't been changed in like six years. I mean, yeah. six years, six. dude. I've, no. I, passwords, I've, I've had legal drinking age passwords yeah. many times. <laughs> so, yeah. mo I've seen a, plenty of passwords that are over 21. I mean, they are getting into all the bars and they are <laughs> yeah. definitely, definitely They're not doing very jello shots. Yes. 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 Yeah. Lemon they're down in Vegas with those really long tubes that, you know, uh -huh. like they're just filled with alcohol. Yeah. yeah, it's not good. It's not good. So, so <laughs> one other effect I think that uh, this might uh, bring upon is that we can be like, hey, PCI says that you should have this much. I mean, don't you think that should be the minimum, even if they're not, I guess, technically dealing with PCI data? I feel like it comes up a lot when you get with these like uh, standard or unifying standard bodies, right? Of, you know, compliance mm -hmm. and other things like that. Uh, it's easier to point than just be like, well, we actually crack all the eight characters. That's why we're saying go higher, you know, whereas PCI is like, well, we're an organization and we must know what we're doing, right? So, you know, I've actually been like part of the conversations with organiza organizational bodies that are trying to create computer security standards. And I'm, I'm, I'm the horrible person that as soon as they start the meeting, one of the things I always start with is, 
why the hell are we doing this? Like there's literally 56 standards that are out there. <laughs> Just find one ticket and go with that standard. There's no reason whatsoever for everyone to be here and creating a new standard from whole cloth. Just say, adhere to this one. Uh, like CIS controls is a good one. Let's do that. And then almost inevitably the conversation's like, okay, thanks for that, John. Um, anybody else have anything they'd like to say? <laughs> never get invited back. Again. <laughs> anyone else that have anyone anything to say that doesn't like undermine our entire existence of being here? <laughs> right. yeah, then, everything we then, started. And then like, like a year or two later, I look at the standard and the standard starts out with the following are the critical patches that we have decided need to be installed in every single organization. It's like, oh God, they put the patches inside the standard. Why did they do that? It's just, it's like it's every Linux patch ever released in Git. They're like, you need to install all of these. <laughs> it's usually like, it's usually like six. And, and Sys is doing the same thing right now. Where Sys is like, here's the top 176 patches that people should have patched. No, Sisa, stop. Like, please stop. For the love of God, you're not helping. Because what organizations are going to do is say, those are the only patches we have to install. <laughs> I just imagined the cover to a CD called, now that's what I call patching volume 15. <laughs> <laughs> it has the top hits. Uh, MSO 8067 is in there. Yeah. Oh, man, there's, there's some that, throwbacks. That's, that's yeah. patching to the oldies. Richard oh Simmons God. walks out with a pair of short shorts that say exploit on them. It's uh, like, oh my He's, he's back from the dead. Zombie Richard Simmons is now a computer ah, security this professional. Is, this is what we need on uh, the news here. We need like just these like one minute commercials where we make, you know, like retrospect, like, you know, the uh, ADCDs or something like that. Oh, my wife. The best part I, is I we have start. our own video team. So, Ryan, yes. please get on that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I did a I did a. I might have get to on it right away. The audio and let Ryan create it, but. I did a commercial for Black Hills Information Security years ago. It was like uh, the pen test puppy mills. And it had a bunch of yipping dogs in the background, like puppies. And we were all like, what the hell is this? What, what are these dogs doing here? It's like, oh, we hired a pen test puppy mill and now we can't get them out of here. And they're like, they're adorable, but they're worthless. It's like, I know. Well, that one just crapped in the corner. What the hell are they doing? Well, I said, they showed up and they ran next pose. And now they're charging us like $20,000. And I had, like this guy from Rapid Seven called me up just livid about it. So I might oh have to pull God. that one back out. It's an oldie, but a good. <laughs> I, I do have that, that somewhere. That one puppy just yeah. crapped in the corner. No, no, no. That's what we call a finding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. now, there, there oh. are two things before we move off the PCI oh story that, that I read and terrified me. It's, it's one of those like, well, we'll see how that turns out. They talk about increased flexibility oh i've got a randy savage commercial from b-sides i gotta share uh caprio uh caprio uh caprico one but anyway the um the, <laughs> the uh the thing that terrified me was they said greater flexibility in the standards that were used and immediately when i read it i'm like quick tr short tripwire stock uh because <laughs> I, I swear that's the only reason that the, you know their fim product is still around is all the qsa's that are like, oh, well, you need FIM, and this says Tripwire here back in version 3, so go get that. Yep. You know, having that flexibility is great. <laughs> it's awesome, because not having to rely on the precise standard, what terrifies me, is 
being in a room with a bunch of executives that now feel like they get to interpret the technicality of what this means when going through their audit. And I want to crawl under a table. And, and they that's, go, oh, we have flexibility here. No, that's no. exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. You know that that's exactly what's going I, to happen. I fear that that is true. From my perspective, there was already infinite flexibility. As long as you write a big enough check, you can have compliance. But hey. Ouch. That's cold. Jonathan asked about our uh, our pen tests, and he asked, uh, you know, do we do any like uh, correlations with detections, right? And actually, for a lot of them, we do. Um, it's not every single one, but yeah, we do um, some correlations to let people know, hey, we did this thing. Did you see this, um, you know, this activity? So yeah, it's in there. We get perp, purple. Yep, we get, we get purple. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I guess, I don't know if you guys read this one. I thought this was interesting. Apple um, had a, uh, a little issue with hackers calling them up and requesting data by um, pretending to be law enforcement agencies, right? No, um, this can't be right. Macs aren't susceptible to viruses. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now, that, now that we're past that, I guess Apple employees are susceptible to uh, hackers, though. Um, so I guess they were calling and forging a legal request. Um, now, I, I guess Apple gets a bunch of these, and they kind of just don't really wait too much to, like, vet it out. So I guess they were, you know, this is like breaking like multiple laws at one time. But I mean, I guess if you're in, you're in. If you're in, you're in. Yeah. What do you guys think about this? <laughs> so like there's two things. Like one, my uh, one of my favorite HD Moore stories is we were at one of the old SANS conferences. I can't remember which one with Ed. And we were at Bradley Ogden Steakhouse. And somebody at the table basically said, hey, HD, I heard that Metasploit was hacked and HD was not happy what the hack actually was um this would have been like 2006 or 7 i think what the hack was was the dns provider for metasploit.com for the domain received a fax uh that was basically a change of domain request and they were able to reroute the traffic from the real ip address to the attacker's ip address so i can just i can see why hd was frustrated about that but that's kind of the same thing, right? You're basically trying to get data through standard channels that a normal hacker doesn't go through. Um, there was a payroll processing company that we were we were tasked to break into. And you could just basically pick up the phone and you literally just had to pretend you were from a com company and say, yeah, I need to add in another like employee. Yep, this is his name. This is his social security number. This is his address. Here's his bank account information. And yep. His salary is $180,000 a year. You just added an employee and it took you like two minutes. So, you know, this kind of goes back to the non-standard thing that Ian was talking about going around the way that, you know, you think an attacker is going to come at you. And this, you read this entire story at Apple, it just really reeks of it, right? You're basically attacking the organization, utilizing a channel that they're used to receiving requests from all over the United States. And you just kind of plug right into that channel and you get the data because that's not that's not the way a hack looks and it works. Yeah, I, I After guess. After all, why would bad people impersonate the police? <laughs> yeah, oh, my exactly. God. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you got to understand here, I'm here from the uh, the law enforcement department of law enforcement here. Um, <laughs> I need uh, I need some data from some phones. You'll notice the clipboard and the hat. Yeah. So the data, please. <laughs> oh, that's uh, beautiful. And I, uh, it's my my, my room me. is nothing but props. It's all it's nothing but props. You're set. <laughs> You're ready for this. Ready. It's kind of like you guys remember Ghostbusters two, where they're they're digging in the street and they're dropping down into the subway and mm -hmm. there's like slime going. 
when the police show up and they get into the shouting match with the police officers and like, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I'm burning a hole in the middle of the street. I'm trying to do my job. That was all real. Like the cop <laughs> showed up and the actors were interacting with real police officers and the police officers totally just drove away like nothing happened. Just because of the hard hat and yeah. all the stuff. I didn't know That's, that. That's, That's fantastic. Kind of funny. The other, I mean, the other I guess, thing I have with that is like, do you want to fill this hole in? Because do you want to fill the yeah. hole in? <laughs> I have to go ahead and do a hot attribution and say this had to be sixteen-year-old kids, <laughs> like, like dumb enough hot to impersonate, impersonating law enforcement, which is basically how you say, like, "Hi, let me get this paintbrush." Yeah, is that a target? Does that look good? <laughs> okay, yeah. okay, perfect. Um, but also, like the whole like desire to get addresses phone numbers ip addresses real mm-hmm. hackers are like we don't care who we hack 16 year olds are like we must hack clayton because he posted a tiktok <laughs> that made us look bad <laughs> and so we need his address yeah. we're gonna send him pizzas and whatever like <laughs> you know games yeah this is yeah. an emergency request to apple uh so, what's the so, reason why why so is it an emergency? i think we need at bhis we need to start hiring 16 year olds that's um, that's how we're gonna do it. We yeah. can't cross like you know, personal <laughs> cell phone sim cloning. We can't do that, but we can just have like this 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 daycare, and we're basically working them up. And when they get to be like sixteen, it's like Billy, come over here. Yeah. All right, so here's what I need you to do. I uh, need you to call Apple, pretending to be law enforcement. Isn't that illegal, <laughs> Mister John? Yes, yes it but is. we have great lawyers that we but, have just for this purpose. Here's the thing, Billy. This is going to set your career for the rest, <laughs> rest of, your, of life. your life. You're arrested. You're helping us. We're helping you. Once you turn 18, you can no longer yep. be prosecuted for anything you did before. <laughs> I have the worst lawyers. <laughs> I mean, so instead of puppies, you're saying we're going to get like, you know, one-year-olds, the real, real, yeah. real wild ones, right? Like, yeah, it's just, no, you know, all the cute's gone. They're just running fast, man. Like, you can't yep, just be like at look, this point. Look, launching attacks, doing things that we can't get away with, like ever. <laughs> it's like, what are you gonna do, kids? How did you guys well, get in? We broke laws. Lots of laws. laws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Caprica one just said John accidentally laid out how the mob worked in the seventies. <laughs> and by the way, lately I've been saying things like that, and people will like send me an email. Well, I just can't believe that you would recommend using children to do illegal activities. <laughs> it's a goddamn joke. <laughs> never do that. And no. talk about it on a show on YouTube. That's no, right. You'd absolutely make sure they're 18. <laughs> <laughs> child labor laws in South Dakota are very lax due to the lying thing. Child lying. labor laws in South Dakota exist? Yeah, I mean, as you long have as to it's be eight to wield a pickaxe, that's about all they got on the books. <laughs> well, we let everybody drive at 14 years old, so we have a very low regard for human life here. All right, what, are, what else do we got? We got time for one more. Ah, uh, do you guys want to talk about the bull rat? An actual remote access Trojan, the bull rat. I yes. thought we were going to talk about Ukraine. We can talk about Ukraine if you want. I got the one story I love about Ukraine. Let's all let's right. go with it. Ian, set us off, sir. Oh man, yep. okay. So this, this this is phenomenal. It ticks all the boxes. It's like the whole thing from Saturday Night Live. Like this story's got everything. It's got three D <laughs> printing. It's got drones. It's got attaching three D printed stolen Russian grenades to drones. <laughs> so Ukraine, it turns out, even back to twenty fifteen, had started to develop kind of a network of 
quadcopter drone civilian pilots. And in the the current fight, they are doing uh, well a bang up job uh, with using these co- not commercial but consumer yeah. quadcopters up to and including. And in this story here, they've got you know kind of photos and video of it. Uh, releasing 3D printed STLs that say, if you capture these anti-tank grenades, print these fins so that when you release it from your drone, it'll have like this glide ratio to hit the tank. <laughs> and I'm like, this is amazing. This is like cyberpunk at its best. Like, uh, oh, hey, uh, we're going to de- protect democracy. Get the kids with their toys and give them grenades. Yeah, Corey Doctorow has got to be watching all of this and being like, I'm going to crank off another three books on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I will say it is, you know, we talked about how Elon Musk like single-handedly helped the war effort like just by sending them internet. He's like, here you go, here's the internet. They're like, okay, we can, we're better than Russia now because we have internet and they don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so weird how a crazy small thing like this can make such a huge difference. I mean, yeah. I do a little bit worry about the dangers of like targeting, I guess. I mean, I guess, <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, what if you accidentally put your, what if you put your own drone in follow me mode and it's just chasing you? Like, oh, <laughs> I hope it runs out of battery before it kills Or, or you're me. like testing the fit of the fins on your grenade in your basement before you let it go. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a weird world. I just yeah. told that at some point, whenever they started taking Starlinks, to like Zelezny, and they're like, This Lesney is the internet. Yes. Well, it seems small. Well, it doesn't weigh anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's no wires. It's wireless. You know, I, I the hawk that, gave it to us. Yeah, we got it from the hawk himself. I hope that <laughs> conversation happened in Ukraine. But on the drone thing, have you also been reading the news stories from Taiwan? Because mm-hmm. apparently, Taiwan is seeing everything that's going on in Ukraine, and the thing that they're taking from all of this is drones are freaking awesome. And they're like, we're Taiwan. Like, we can make drones that drop (laughs) bombs. So how do you even deal with that, right? Um, Like, from from a threat perspective, you're trying to attack a country. There's been... There's been a lot of stuff that's related to this. So first of all, this is just kind of like real warfare 101, right? So, I mean, how do you take... You know, how, how can you improvise Weaponize right? everything. everything, right? And so, but the drone attack, right? So small a- aerial drones, like the consumer drones. Um, I know the U.S. federal government has known about this. The military has known about this for a while. I mean, they've actually developed platforms to actually bring these things down, right? Um, jam communication, all the other fun stuff, right? But, you know, uh, it, it's overall, it's we're going to see more of it, right? And even if it's just from a, uh, a non-lethal standpoint, just the intel of knowing where people are so that you can move the right people in place to take out units is huge, right? So there's a lot to be there. But, you know, obviously, you know, for example, the U.S. government's been flying bigger drones and all this other stuff. And that's great, but they're very expensive. Whereas these other drones that are still getting like the latest ones are getting like almost an hour of flight time. Like with enough batteries, you can just fly this thing 24-7, man. Just going. They're also cheap and they're easy to like, oh, your drone crashed because someone threw a jar of pickles at it. You better just (laughs) send up another one. Like no big deal. No Um, one cares. Well, and I was seeing that with some of these 3D printed ones, they were actually, rather than using standard transmitters on like the 2.4 gigahertz frequency, um, they were actually, there's instructions out there uh, specifically from this effort to put them on higher, less common frequencies and and variable frequencies so that 
like your standard Wi-Fi jammer, can't take it down. Yeah, yeah. Um, anti-jamming uh, drones are definitely going to be something that starts to evolve, right? Um, radio frequency hopping, other things like that to continue to fly that and operate. And, you know, it's it's it, it's the uh, it's the whole thing. I got the buster buster. I got the buster buster oh, buster, you know, I just continuing just over and over again. Right. The thing, so, that, oh, the thing yeah. that makes me smile, though, is this is all still Hedy Lamar. Like, you know, Hedy Lamar and torpedoes during World War II. How do we actually detonate our torpedoes with a signal if they go off course going towards something? And, you know, that spreads, what is it? Sped, spread spectrum frequency hopping, which is yep. a mouthful for me. Um, we're still doing that, right? It's like in cell phones and everything. And now with drones, we're right back to the same problem. Like, how do we stop dr the jamming of drones? And all this technology is still in place. And I, I don't know why, but I just think that that's awesome. Yeah. It's 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 evolving, but uh, I just, yeah, yeah we'll I just imagine the meeting where you know some Russian general has to explain to Putin that they're losing <laughs> because of YouTuber drones, <laughs> and I can't really like you know just the frustration of being like they drop grenades on our heads. Like <laughs> where did they get the grenades from us? We gave them. To we them. gave them the grenades. We left the road mines on the road. They take the road mines, flip them upside down, put them on drones, and drop them drop on them our heads. On <laughs> we can't win. I swear to God, if, if, if it wasn't so horrific, it would be Looney Tunes, right? It would, hundred uh, percent. It'd be Wiley e. Coyote opening the Acme box, going, "Oh, look at this!" Yeah, it's well. I yeah, mean, think it, about it. How many things have we had in this war that fit that? Like the farmers stealing tanks. Like with it's tractors, almost, it's it's almost like a continuation of the of the of the comedy series about him becoming president in the first place. Yeah. I can't remember what the name of it. Like, servant of the people, servant of the people. It's like it's just a continuation, except once again, horribly, horribly tragic. But there's just these weird things. So White Cyberduck said, "I hope Taiwan starts buying some tractors." <laughs> uh. Also, uh, another lesson uh, to learn from this war is uh, don't drive your tanks through a bunch of mud, right? Getting stuck is really bad. Like, it's yeah. just kind of yeah. ending for the whole tank. And that's all you got, too, just a bunch of tanks. Yeah, yeah. Russia's fighting mud. like it's, you know, 1997, and Ukraine's fighting like it's 2033. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, and, and you guarantee there's a conversation like... somewhere where they're like, oh, they're not playing by the rules. Like, yes, that's the point. <laughs> well, and it's got to be nice for America because we always say that we're good at fighting the last war. We're really good at fighting the last war. And it looks like Russia was really good at fighting four wars back. Cold War, I think it was. They, they're war. ready for that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's still the same one. Though. Oh, and, and Jay Poodle is uh, talking about some people poisoning the Russian soldiers with eyes. That's pretty bad. <laughs> It's like, yeah, again, the Looney Tunes thing. The Russian <laughs> soldier going through the countryside, his tank stuck in the mud. He's just walking around. Oh, look, a freshly baked pie. <laughs> what should I do? Should I There's eat it? There's no way this will end poorly for me. What could go wrong? I'll just take <sighs> a bite. I'm dead. I, I yeah. don't. I. The best what? part is Zelensky dressed up as Bugs Bunny baking the pie going, no, it's good here. Thank you for coming. <laughs> So, so, but all of this, I think that what this is doing is this is, and we, we tie it back to computer security is like, if we're looking at, you know, battlefields of the future, now you're looking at remote internet terminals like Starlink and how do you deal with those? Mm -hmm. You're looking at like, how do you deal with drones and these types of things? It's, you know, it's, I think, I think the concept of war just got a lot more complicated moving forward. Yeah. Good luck. I mean, good luck, Ukraine. Good luck, Russia, whatever your goals are that 
something's not going to plan no matter which side you are on. Yeah. Uh, it definitely seems like Ukraine is having a much better go of it at the moment. Just oh, yeah. sorting it out, just sorting out all the war crimes and all the, uh, I mean, man, it's going to be a long tribunal. Yeah, it's, it is. It is. And White Cyber Duck, I think, has the best quote to close it out. The Russian soldiers sort of been suspicious after they were also handed some sunflowers. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, totally straight out of something like Looney Tunes, right? Like just crazy. With that, everybody, thank you so much for joining. I appreciate it. Ryan, take us out.